I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, the show where we bitch about all the things we love to hate every single week. I'm your host, Matt Bellisai. I'm here in my closet recording far, far away from my producer, Barry Finkel. Hi, Barry. Hi, Matt. How's your quarantine going this week? You know how people get like mad at their significant others for like chewing too loud? Like that is the stage of quarantine they're in. I am experiencing that with my refrigerator (laughs) 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 because I have no one to love in my life. I start getting mad, but my refrigerator has been making what I'm pretty sure are just refrigerator noises. Right. But we've been together now for so long, trapped, that I'm like, if you make one more sound, (laughs) I swear to God, I will divorce you. (laughs) That's where I'm at with my refrigerator. Well, speaking of refrigerators, I currently have my first ever non-graham cracker crust pie dough in the fridge. (gasps) Wow. I know. So I'm either going to be very, very happy in a couple of hours or my whole week will be just ruined so that's i actually where I'm at. love making pie dough now it's not that hard it's not that hard but it still feels like it could go wrong <laughs> i believe in you and Thank your you. pie dough i feel like if that little dough boy can do it then you can Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Matt. We'll see if it becomes an edible strawberry rhubarb pie or not. We'll find out. (laughs) I'm hopeful. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. Obviously, as always, we're going to kick things off with Worst Things First, where I shout about the most ridiculous, stupidest, eye-roll-worthy worst news of the week. After that, we're diving deep into all these people just flailing around the world without masks on and why they're the worst. And then we'll get into an interview with the best-selling author, the host of Top Chef, and now executive producer and host of her very own show. It's a new Hulu original, Taste the Nation, Padma frickin' Lakshmi. What? Yes. Insane that she is gracing our podcast with her presence (laughs) in any form. Truly, truly a blessing. And... Even though you're only going to be hearing her voice, just know that on our our Zoom interview, she looked absolutely incredible. Um, And I expect nothing else. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, we'll get to our new segment, Do Better White People, where we highlight anti-racism resources and issues that we can all take part in. And of course, we're going to top it all off with our chasers. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's act like we're all in one big masquerade party and start the show all right worst things first let's talk about the most ridiculous worst news of the week first 
In light of our national reckoning over who we honor with statues and, and town names, many are starting to call for the city of Columbus, Ohio, to change its name. Because for some fucking reason, we named a city in the middle of the country Columbus. I mean, he definitely went there. Did he? No, absolutely not. The point is, maybe we should have a town uh, in Ohio named after a guy who committed a bunch of genocide. So one petition with now thousands of signatures has, I think, the best idea. Change the name of Columbus, Ohio to Flavortown. Hell That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. So there's this change.org petition currently is just shy of its goal of 25,000 signatures to have the name of Columbus, Ohio changed to Flavortown in honor of the city's culinary history as well as Columbus native Guy Fieri. Yes. So it's not, it is to honor columbus native guy fieri he is from columbus so it's not just like this random town yes i did not know that and i love every single part of this uh according to the petition quote why not rename the city flavortown the new name is twofold for one it honors central ohio's proud heritage as a culinary crossroads and one of the nation's largest test markets for the food industry did not know that <laughs> yes i know and also don't <laughs> really that know what like, that means i mean okay do are we are we really gonna call columbus a city with a <laughs> culinary history <laughs> yeah that- <laughs> <laughs> That's strong. Every time I'm in Ohio, uh, I know this is a Cincinnati thing, but I remember the first time I was there, everyone's like, you have to go get this disgusting slop called Skyline Chili, which uh-huh. is spaghetti that just has, instead of spaghetti sauce, it's just fucking chili topped on mm-hmm. top of it. I see nothing wrong with this. I honestly have, I probably have gotten Stockholm syndromed into liking the idea the more time has passed. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying that Columbus is not a town with a culinary history. I'm just saying prove it. Okay. <laughs> this is why this is why we need monuments. This is what I need to be learning. Mm. How would you even have a statue of Guy Fieri? Because how could you capture the flames of his shirt in bronze, you know? Like it it needs to be neon. Yeah, it will it would have to have some type of like Olympic torch mm. situation where his hair is made of fire. Oh, I and love that. It would never actually go out. It would have to <laughs> constantly be lit. This is the the change.org petition. So secondly, Chef Liberty Guy Fieri. Yes, Chef Liberty. Incredible word. word. We'll be using liberally. <laughs> was born in Columbus, so naming the city in honor of him, he's such a good dude, really, would be <laughs> superior to its current nomenclature. That, that is the words of the petition. Wow. Honestly, I support any movement that works to honor the legacy of American hero Guy Fieri. Amen. I, it's just like, he gets a bad rap, I feel like, for being like the Wario version of the guy from Smash Mouth. <laughs> They they are like two versions of the same person, and, and uh-huh. it's terrifying. But also, like, do I want to walk down the aisle to All Star? Yes. So yeah, why is that an issue? And in place of a wedding cake, do you want Guy Fieri nachos? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even though I did eat at the Flavor Town in Times Square, I remember I had friends visiting, and we went to Flavor Town, obviously, <laughs> and um. 
It was horrible. It was genuinely horrible. And not in like a funny, ironic way. It was just like, it was just bad. Mm -hmm. I went to one of those in an airport and they put the calories next to the food. Oh, absolutely not. Which like, alarming. And also, I feel like against the very essence of Guy Fieri, you know? Yeah. Like, this is not, it's not about the calories. It's about the flavor. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Sorry that calories uh, equal flavor. Okay. We're going to blast this. We're going to blast this with calories because that's where the flavor comes from. Okay. The point is, we would do a lot to honor the history of Ohio and America by renaming Columbus Flavortown. Next, a 19-year-old woman was taking a nap in her backyard in Southern California when she woke up to the sounds of a bear approaching her, which started immediately attacking her. What? Yeah. She's taking a nap in her own fucking backyard, and then this bear just walks up and starts scratching and biting at her. Can you imagine? I don't want to imagine. Also, are (laughs) bears everywhere? I mean, I guess in Southern California. Like, uh, California seems like the place where I'm like, okay, yeah, there's bears there. But it's hot. I, I truly don't really understand what kind of climate a bear lives in. Yeah. I mean, there are also so many different kinds of bears. There's black ones. There's brown ones. Mm-hmm, polars. Yeah. There's yellow ones that only wear shirts and no pants. <laughs> Fucking Winnie. Well, I'm looking at you with your balls out all the time. <laughs> anyway, this girl is uh, just taking a nap when a bear starts to attack her. So she uses the only thing she has available, her laptop oh, God. as a weapon. <laughs> Take that bear. So she just starts spanking this bear right in the face with her with her MacBook. I feel yeah. like Apple should like give her a free computer. Probably. I don't know. Um yeah, what the Apple Care warranty is <laughs> if you walk in. Every time I have to go get something fixed from Apple Care and they make me like explain what happened, even though it's like every time it's like I dropped it. Okay. We I know what happened, you know what happened. I threw it on the ground and it broke. Okay, fix it. But now imagine having to be like, oh, actually I was I was taking a nap and this bear woke me up. <laughs> And I had to use my laptop to beat it in the face. According to the local fish and wildlife captain who recounted the story, the bear began scratching and biting the woman's arms and legs. Quote, the only weapon she had was her laptop. She hit the bear with it and stunned it long enough to escape inside the house. She fought back vigorously, which is what you should do with any wildlife in California. I did not think that was the right advice. (laughs) Yeah. I think that there's a lot of mixed signals about what to do when you encounter certain animals. But apparently in California, the answer is just fight back always. And finally, a tenant at a house share... I don't know how many people actually like lived in this house share or, or if this is like a Britishism, um, you know, if it's like a couple people or what. But anyway, a tenant at a house share in London posted a story to Reddit claiming to have discovered their letting agent or, or realtor or broker had secretly been living in their house without their knowledge while they were there. Nope. This is a thing of horror. Absolutely terrifying. So here's what happened. Um, The tenant said that the agent came over unannounced to 
I guess, inspect the property. And they, they let him kind of go around and assume that he left on his own a short while later. But then later in the day, they realized that a light had been left on in one of the spare rooms and that the door was locked. So they texted him because they didn't have a key. And they texted him and they were like, hey, can you come back and shut the light off? And he replied and he was like, oh, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) And then come to find out he had like basically moved in in this time. He said he'd been planning on living there. They, they, the tenant said, this is the weirdest part. I got a ladder and looked through the window and all his stuff is still there. Stale, uncovered croissants, clothes, alcohol, grooming products, and something that looks disturbingly like a fleshlight among the detritus. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand that phrase. Yeah. (laughs) Something that looks disturbingly like a fleshlight. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, who has ladders? That's exciting. Secondly, I mean, I don't know. The fact that they didn't know he was there for days makes me think that he's probably a pretty solid roommate. Like he sounds pretty quiet and like keeps to himself. And what's the problem? Yeah, he's not harming anybody. Let him fuck his flashlight and eat his croissants and, and you'll be fine. Okay. And I guess they're worried about him like bringing in disease or whatever and it's like get over it okay show some compassion uh i also how do they know they're stale uncover croissants yeah there's a lot of assumptions here okay yeah i mean it is it is weird (laughs) it is weird and it is deeply upsetting Yeah, I don't like the idea of anybody like living in my in my house and like where i wouldn't know that they were there The point is, just check under your bed, check in your closet, make sure that nobody is squatting there without your knowledge, because people are crazy. People are crazy. And that's it for this week's Worst Things First. Next, we're diving deep into all those exposed faces we're seeing on the street. Too many, too many. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. dive. All right. Well, this week has been like the craziest week of this pandemic to me. I don't, just in terms of like feeling like I'm absolutely losing my mind. I don't know if you feel this way. People are starting to act like this shit is just over. I don't know. Like Corona's like on summer vacation. It's like, girl, I don't know what to tell you, but she never left. Coronavirus is like me in college hiding in my straight best friend who I was secretly in love with closet. It, just waiting for everybody else to leave so that I can pop out. And then and then we'd we'd laugh and then it would launch into my my gay fantasy. It was like just when just when you think you're in the clear, boom, there Matt is in the closet, the monster who's been hiding there the whole time. That's Corona. Okay. Oh, you no. think she's gone. <laughs> but here she is. She never left. For real, though, it feels fully insane to see so many people out and about mingling in giant crowds as if the past few months just didn't happen. And it's, you know, I go on my nightly walks and there are all these bars and restaurants with huge crowds. And really, 
The worst part is people are not wearing masks. And now it's become a political thing because this is America and we live in a constant dystopia. And some people are not wearing masks out of like solidarity with the president. I imagine being willing to die for someone named Donald. <laughs> like you are putting your life at risk for that man. I just, it's weird to me. It is just stupidity. So this week, I feel like we we needed a reminder for why we should be wearing masks and why people who aren't wearing masks are the fucking worst. First, let's just get this out of the way. I don't want to see your face anyway, okay? Pandemic or no pandemic, I'm absolutely okay with not having to look at anybody's weird face pores ever again in my life. We literally have a built-in excuse to avoid having to see everybody's sweaty upper lips and, and their pimples that they picked at, even though everybody told them not to, and the crusty, sharp nose boogers. We can avoid having to look at all of that. And s- somehow people are just letting that opportunity go. Not to mention the fact that, like, you don't have to do your makeup from below the eyes. Yeah. Also, like, you know how freeing it is to be able to walk around New York and not have to worry about what a hot guy's face looks like. You just look right at his butt. It re- it really reminds me of what's truly important. And that's that's what's under those sweatpants. Am I right, ladies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have to think about anybody's face. There's that horrible, horrible phrase, butterface. Like, but her face. <laughs> These are the right. anti-butterface device, you know? It really reminds us all what's what's actually important. And that is um, objectifying hot guys. Amen. Next, let's be real. The human mouth is absolutely disgusting. It's just a Star Wars desert monster pit of mangled teeth and flailing flesh. Any other hole that was this dark and wet and sharp and slimy and crowded would be roped off and danger signs would be erected around it. And if a child ever fell in, it would be it would be covered by the national news for weeks. And yet we're all walking around with these things on our faces uncovered in normal times? No. Cover it up. Keep it sealed. Then there's people who are wearing their masks but under their chins. Mm. And it's like you're so close. Okay, you're almost there, bud. Just slide it up on that hole where all the face juice comes from. Oh no, face juice. Or people who are who have masks on but it's only covering their mouth and then their nose is uncovered. It's just like it's like poking a hole in a condom and then saying you said, "Well, I have a condom on." Sir, you're missing the point. Also, just a quick science lesson here. You're not just spewing out little moist droplets when you cough, okay? It's also when you talk and when you breathe. They're microscopic. You know how like in the winter when you open your mouth and breathe out and there's like a cloud? Yes. That still happens in the summer. Right. (laughs) Everything is even wetter in the summer. Also, the fact that I pass so many straight couples on the street and the and the woman is wearing a mask, but the man isn't. <laughs> Girl, you need to leave him. You need to leave him. And the fact that some guys think wearing a mask makes them like weak or feminine. I just there's so many things wrong and uh, ridiculous about that. But really, if your masculinity is that fragile that you think wearing a piece of cloth on your face might make you gay. 
honey, <laughs> you might be gay. I just, I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. If that's all that it takes, I don't think Corona cares about how, how masculine you are. You'll die. Let's see. Next. Really, you can literally just throw a hat and a mask on and, and be anonymous in the world. It's honestly amazing. I've been so excited for celebrities during this time. I'm like, wow, they're probably just really out here. Yeah. I feel so much more confident going and buying three pints of ice cream, preparation H, and a drugstore vibrator at 11 p.m. when my face is fully disguised. I mean, that that truly is liberty. That is freedom. It's like the guy who goes to my CVS to look at porn on the photo printer computers. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know what this point is. There is a man who, an old man who goes to my CVS and I don't I think he really understands how like computer porn works. So he brings in like an SD card and looks at porn on the Kodak printer computers that are like in the corner. Mm, where does the SD card come from? I don't from? know. I'm assuming like I've, I've walked past and I've seen this man a couple of times. So I know, I know it's a recurring activity that he does (laughs) it doesn't seem like there are pictures that like he's taken himself okay so i don't think he's like that type of criminal um i feel like um it would be charitable if you buy this man a printer uh i'm not getting anywhere near him (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's beautiful that he you know he's doing his thing and with a mask it's like nobody can see what he's doing Let's see. Also, yeah. And then people are like, oh, oh, but it's hot. It makes me sweat. We'll bring a towel then, Mr. Wet Cheeks. People sweat. That's what they do. Nobody can see your sweaty cheeks anyway. You you sweat under your armpits. You sweat in your underwear. Does that mean you walk around with your dick out? I wish. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't because it's illegal. Fine. And people are like, oh, this is America. I have freedoms. First of all, the founding fathers didn't know what a fucking germ was. <laughs> they walked around wiping their ass with the back of their hands. I don't know. I think they had toilet paper. But the point is. I have never uh, thought about what they used. I don't know if they had toilet paper. When was toilet paper invented? I feel like I've looked this up before and it was invented before the 1700s. Okay. I guess people probably used cloths, too, or something like that. Yeah. Um, All right. Well. But it's like, still, these people didn't know anything. <laughs> they ha- they didn't know anything. All we're saying, it's literally a piece of fabric that you're putting on your face. People are acting like it's a muzzle or handcuffs that they're being, like, restricted. Your freedoms are being restricted. And also, like, even if you do think it's a muzzle, that's kind of a great example because you know why people put muzzles on dogs? Because that dog, when they take it out into public, probably would bite other dogs and you don't want to do that. So for the sake of safety, you just put a muzzle on the dog and then it's totally fine. Yeah, it's just like it's it's literally the smallest thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I feel like I... I've just gotten so it like takes so little time to actually get used to wearing it. Like sure. The first couple of times were weird and annoying, but like after literally twice of wearing a mask for like an extended period of time, you get used to it. It's, it's really that simple. Yeah. I also, when I was walking outside the other day and saw a bunch of people in masks, I was like, Oh, 
this isn't weird to me anymore. No. <laughs> Let's see. Also, yeah. And then people are like, oh, I look stupid in a mask. You know who wore face masks? The Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. Wow. And sure, they only cover their eyes and did absolutely nothing to protect their, their <laughs> mouths or their identities for that matter. It, it's like, yeah, why are you even trying to protect your identities with the mask? As if people are going to mistake you for someone else. <laughs> the fact that they were four human-sized monster mutated <laughs> reptiles were in a dead giveaway. You see that mask and you're like, oh, that could be anybody. Oh, no. It's one of the four crazy mutant turtles that live in our city. I think people know. The point is, even though it was basically pointless in this case, they still wore their fucking masks. So follow the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles example is what I'm saying. And finally, uh, for real, what is the trade-off here? It's like, even if wearing a mask is absolutely pointless and ineffective, which it's not, uh, I feel like I, I should say that, it's not, but it's like, even if it didn't do anything, at worst, you, you look a little funny, your chin gets a little sweaty, that's it. That's the worst thing that happens. At best, you stop the spread of a deadly disease that has brought civilization to its knees. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, that's it. So wear a mask. It's literally the, the least you could do to help prevent the spread of a deadly disease. And then maybe we could get back to normalcy one day. Imagine that. That'd be nice. It would be nice. Anyway, so that's it for this week's Deep Dive. Next, we got Padma Lakshmi as our guest complainer right after this commercial break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest who celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. My guest complainer today truly needs no introduction. Absolute queen of food, the the top chef, and uh, her new show, Taste the Nation, is out on Hulu. Welcome to Unhappy Hour, Padma Lakshmi. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So we like to start by asking uh, everybody, what is one thing you hate that everybody else loves? Cuddling after sex. <laughs> I truly was not expecting that. <laughs> well, it's funny because when right. I knew I was going to do your podcast, I sort of sat at the dinner table and I said, gosh, I don't think very many things annoy me. And then uh -huh. uh, my daughter was at the table my boyfriend was at the table um, and a couple other people who are very close to me were also up, up at the table up for dinner. And, and they were like, let us count the ways. And so now, of course, it's all gone out of my head. But uh, apparently a lot of things annoy me. <laughs> What's well, good. We can slowly kind of get bring all of them out. Uh, <laughs> OK, so what is it about? Is it just like I, I don't want to be touched anymore? 
So it's part part of it is that I don't want to be touched anymore. But you know, if sex is really good, then after you finish, you do just need a minute for your whole body and soul to calm down, just to you know simmer down. All of a sudden, to then be all you know flabbergasted from the experience and be all sweaty, hopefully a little, and then like <laughs> you know immediately press your body against another sweaty. Body that's also pulsating or has just finished pulsating. I don't know. This is going very <laughs> south, very fast. But um, you know, I just want to be left alone. And if the sex isn't good, you really want to be left alone too. So there's really, I mean, true. I just I want to go have a shower and put on fresh underwear and a pretty nightgown or crisp pajamas, and then you can hug me or whatever you want to do. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like quarantine has made me like crave human touch and interaction more than anything. But I know like the second we get back to normal, I'm going to be like, absolutely not. (laughs) Give me my space. I need the time. Yeah, I'm definitely not the romantic one uh, in the relationship. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there is something I feel like Lucy and and, and Desi, they really had their uh, or, or Ricky, I guess, mm-hmm. um, Lucy and Ricky, they, they had the right idea. Separate beds. <laughs> you get your you get your little bed. I get my little bed. Totally. I mean, I asked for a separate room, which is where we're in right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, people won't be able to see this, but your your um, background is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm very jealous that you get to quarantine in, you know, a spacious New York apartment. This, my background is my closet, which is basically my entire New York apartment. I get it. It's this is <laughs> this is where I live. I get it. I'm actually in Long Island. I do live in New York City, but I'm out of the city, and I have been since March 13th. I just I have a 10 year old daughter, so. I thought it would be better to be out in Long Island where she could at least take a walk. Of course, now she's complaining and she says she's homesick and she wants to go back to the city as soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) You can't win. I I do wonder, like, what is it like to go through a, a kind of like press junket in quarantine? Like, is it better than having to travel around and do a whole bunch of stuff? Or is it worse because you're stuck in one place? It's bizarre. It's, you know, it's really interesting to promote any project. Also, because there's so much going on um, idealistically, cynically, whatever way, you know, whatever way you're looking at the situation, it's... um, you know, it feels a little awkward to be like, hey, watch my show when so much right. is going on. So that is actually a bigger issue. But I'm lucky in that my show, my new show, Taste the Nation, actually deals with the conversation we're having now about appropriation, about who gets to tell their story and how, about giving people a platform who traditionally not had one in mainstream American you know, media. So I'm lucky because I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time, you know, as an immigrant, as a brown person in this country. So I, while I couldn't have predicted that I would be releasing the show in this moment in time, um, I think that it is more relevant today than even when I conceived of it. So in that way, it's easier. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing The Bachelor or something weird. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but on the other hand, it is glorious to be able to do everything from the desk in your room. Like 
I don't ever want to go into another studio again and I will take the pain. <laughs> I did, um, you know, live with Kelly and, and Ryan in my shorts. Like, I, just, I literally had a tank top on. I rolled out of bed. They were like cut off sweats shorts, but it was fine because all you're seeing yeah. of me is boob up. So, yeah. I know that like a few weeks into the pandemic, there was that story like that all of these retailers were selling like way more tops than they were selling <laughs> bottoms because nobody was buying new <laughs> new pants or shorts, which is I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I put on a belt somewhere after three and a half weeks and it felt like I was, you know, putting on an evening gown because it just felt so dressed up. <laughs> Um, it's also like buying buying any type of bottoms right now is you're making a lot of presumptions about what your waistline is going to look like in like a month that is there's way too much fluctuation happening totally you know i always gain uh weight when i do top chef like in six weeks i'll gain 10 or 15 pounds so i have a wardrobe that has many sizes in it. Like literally <laughs> my wardrobe person, Albert on top chef, he's a genius. Um, he, you know, he buys clothing in three different sizes because I'm gaining weight at such a rapid clip. But honestly, I'm, it's been a long time since I've worn something that actually had a zipper and a button. It's all just like, toddler clothes pull up and you know <laughs> right i truly i feel like I, any type of futuristic show is i'm i'm sick of seeing like skin tight space suits we need like just full moos. like everybody needs to be in flowing capes and the the less defined the better here in long island at the beach it's cold except for july and august it's like really cold so we have been walking around in our onesies like we look like giant Kirby <laughs> summer onesies that's the that's the trend are you like sick of cooking right now? I feel like we've been in quarantine long enough where people are are, are starting. Everybody who was dipping their foot into cooking more frequently is now like, I'm done. I want to go back to ordering food seven days a week. I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who orders a lot of food anyway. I, I miss pizza. I miss my local, you know, village pizza. We order from Spunto in New York City, in the East Village, there's Grupo. And, and I love those those little pizzas. They're delicious and thin. But other than that, like, I don't actually, unless I'm really tired, I don't order food. I, I'm not sick of cooking. I'm sick of eating. <laughs> I'm also sick of being the idea guy at my house. Like, everybody will come to me and be like, what should we make for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. I don't care. I don't know. Just, just make something because mommy's off today. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that that is, is a, a frustrating or like being the, the food person is someone else figure it out. The only thing less, more frustrating than that is, is when um, my friends or loved ones who I love very much, I have to caveat what I'm about to say before I say it, but with that statement, but you know, when they say, oh, let's cook together. You know, I want to cook with you. It's, it'll be something else we can do together. And I, I just like, I have to cut it short because I have to tell them that no, it will not be a good thing for our relationship. <laughs> I'm self-aware to know that I don't like it when there's a mess or people don't clean as they cook 
or or all that stuff. It's just, yeah. you know, it shows a lack of respect for the kitchen and for themselves and whoever they're cooking for. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that, like on Top Chef, when I go around to do, you know, the, the tasting for the quick fire, I can tell a lot about a chef just by the surroundings on their table. But, right. You know, like their um, smock is just all staying, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. I guess so. I mean, I, yeah, I judge myself based on <laughs> how, how disgusting I can be in the midst of cooking. I'm getting better at it, but, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've become acquainted with cooking in a way that I did not uh, want to, which is that I don't, <laughs> to me, it's just like, it's such a chore. And I'm like, I, once I figured it out that I could like press a button and someone would bring me food like that, it was, it all went downhill uh but now i've had to unlearn all of those things and do do the hard work of actually making my own shit but i also grew up in you know i i say my family's chef boyardee italian we are like <laughs> we're like fairly basic which made it actually made me think to to transition into taste the nation i i love the episode about chop suey i, I like had a conversation with my mom the other day about because she, she couldn't get quote-unquote chop suey vegetables at the store. And I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what do you mean stir-fry? Yeah, but they had something called stir-fry vegetables. And she was like, no, no, no. They had only had stir-fry vegetables, not chop suey vegetables. And I was like, what? What's the difference? Oh, I'm so curious. Did you get an answer out of which vegetables go in what? Because I would I love to I truly don't really know. It's just... It, I made me realize just truly, truly how, uh, I guess, like uh, Americanized I've had so many different varieties of food. Tell me like, yeah, I mean, give me the, the basic pitch of what Taste the Nation is. Sure. Taste the Nation is really a show that travels around the country and visits different immigrant enclaves within the United States and uses food as a vehicle to get to know those communities and those people. You know, I started working with the ACLU about three and a half years ago, right after the Muslim ban, right after family separation started. And it's a subject that is very personal to me because I'm an immigrant. I came here from India when I was four, but you know, I grew up here. And so Mm-hmm. I didn't see a lot of people talking about that kind of food in mainstream media. There were some people who were doing it and trying to sneak it in here and there. But, you know, these are the foods that we all love as Americans, whether it's pad thai or tacos and burritos or sushi and poke. And, and I really wanted to go and talk to the people who made them and let them have the platform to speak about themselves. I really wanted to learn because there's so many people who talk about immigration, who talk about immigrants without ever really asking the immigrant how they feel. You know, food is this interesting thing where influences trickle up. They don't necessarily trickle down because if you look in the back of restaurant kitchens, all you will see are brown and black faces usually. Mm -hmm. And so those people cook family meal for for the crew, you know, for the kitchen staff. And then they will invariably take out some hot sauce or magic spice that they've got in their bag because they needed to eat lunch there. Um, and then they make the meal and then the head chef tastes it and they're like, wow, Arisa, I'm going to put that, you know, 
on my, on my, you know, roasted cod or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, that then becomes new American cuisine. Well, new American cuisine is just old American cuisine gussied up with some bells and whistles borrowed and stolen from other cultures. And so what I'm trying to do is highlight the people that have been responsible for introducing us to that wonderful food. You know, it's, it's like things in this country don't really take off until they have a white ambassador right. um, to kind of translate that. And I think we're at a point in our evolution um, where we shouldn't need that anymore. And that's what I'm trying to prove, I guess. That's why it's called Taste the Nation. It's a riff off of Face the Nation. It is a political show, mm -hmm. but it's a way to allow me to hopefully more elegantly get on my soapbox and show the humanity of these people and how compelling their lives are. We often order a lot of takeout, right? But do we ever look the person in the eye and say, hi, how are you? What's your name? How long have you been in this country? Not that you have to do that to every delivery guy who rings your doorbell, but my point is, it would be really nice for the people in the communities that actually know about this food firsthand because they've been you know, living with it for generations to tell us about it, to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, it feels like such a simple, like obvious way to talk about history and like culture and community. <laughs> One thing that struck me, so the first episode is set in El Paso and you go through kind of the American, Mexican cuisine. And there's this guy Maynard, <laughs> Truly the most Texas name ever. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a complicated bit because he uh, he is a conservative guy whose entire restaurant and business pretty much run by Mexican immigrants. And yet he is conservative. How do you come out of an interaction like that with hope? Because <laughs> the thing I like, it strikes me as like the disconnect between what right. he's experiencing every day and his politics is like so vast. And it's like, totally. if even he is experiencing that, what hope do we have? I mean, it was really hard for me. As you know, I am a flaming liberal. So, <laughs> you know, but listen, even though it's not a journalistic show, this is a very editorial show. It's my point of view. I take full responsibility for that. I did want to have credibility with my audience and, and get to the truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, a lot of us have people in our families who are racist. I know I do mm -hmm. in mine, who are very bigoted without even realizing that they are. And, you, you know, I, I love those people as bigoted <laughs> as they are. I hate to say it, but I really right. do. And, and so I wanted to talk to Maynard. Maynard was a huge get for me. I was excited to interview him. I was also very scared to interview him because I was warned by my field producer that he can be a little cantankerous and rough and, you know, he can decide to shut down the interview at any moment. I went into it very, um, you know, trepidatious. And, and also I had to learn on the job how the hell to interview people because this is not what right. I do. Um, and so there was a steep learning curve. And these are not people who have been on camera a lot. Um, I needed to really be able to pull out of them their story, however they wanted to tell it which meant I had mm -hmm. to listen, which meant that for whatever time I was with Maynard, that interview went for at least 90 mm -hmm. minutes. And um, for that whole time, it was not my job to convince 
um, a man who had been sitting in that rocking chair for 63 years, right? That, you know, he was wrong and he should vote for people who are more progressive. I wasn't going to get that done right. anyway. But I'm saying, had I tried to do that, which is my instinct, frankly speaking, I don't think I would have gotten uh, as much information about how he felt. And at the end of the day, it's really not about how I feel. It's about how Maynard feels and how his daughter feels running the cash register and how that woman who has been working his grill for 36 years, walking across the border every morning and every evening. And we hand out a lot of these policies from Washington that really affect these border towns. And I wanted to see what life was like on the ground for these people in their daily lives. And in order to do that, I needed to have a lot of patience and a lot of you know, just openness and, and just tell the story of their lives, not try to shape it. And sometimes you don't know what that's going to be like. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it came across as effortless. So that was uh, an accomplishment because, yeah, interviewing is not easy. A testament of what I can attest to that. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You are interviewing genius. You got me to talk about my sex life in four <laughs> seconds flat. Oh, that was, yeah, that was all me. <laughs> you came charged with that one. To take another uh, a left turn, there was another quote from an article that I, I was reading in my research where you say that I've been frustrated that my worth has not been as deeply weighted as my male colleagues who work less than I do, frankly, <laughs> which I which is like true. You truly do like so many things. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess like part of that is probably also just out of like necessity. It is totally out of necessity. It is also because I, I do enjoy my work very mm-hmm. much. I'm very lucky to do something I love. And frankly, even if I wasn't paid for it, I'd probably do it for free. Um, I love sitting on my ass and talking about food all day. I get to do that on Top Chef. And, you know, I just wanted to do something different that I'm very interested in, which are these mom and pop restaurants, because I think that most of us eat that way. I have a great amount of respect for fine dining. I've spent the last, you know, more than dozen years on TV talking about it. But honestly, if if you ask me, I'd just rather go on a street food crawl. That's my jam. It's always been my jam since I was five years old. And also out of a frustration as an immigrant in food that the right people were not being asked um, the right questions. And so it is true. I do work really hard. I've had to work really hard to finally get my own show at almost age 50. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting near the end. I do want to move to a, a segment we call Elaborate, which is a few of your tweets where you express your um, dislike or, or hatred of something and just have you elaborate on them. This was a couple years ago where Chelsea Peretti had this whole um, whole thing about frosting on cake. I hate frosting. You said, I hate frosting. It's too rich, too sweet, except maybe cream cheese frosting. Yeah, cream cheese frosting I like because it has a little tartness to it and creaminess. I just don't need that much butter and sugar in my life. I have enough of it. And so even when we're at a kid's birthday party, 
Um, and I wind up just taking a paper napkin and just smearing it off, like pushing all of it off. Yeah. And my daughter does the same thing. I don't mind icing or I don't mind whipped cream, mm-hmm. but I just don't like buttercream. Yeah. I've been I've been getting more and more into baking as as quarantine continues. And I feel like truly nothing is as upsetting as seeing like how much sugar and butter goes into some recipes where I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> Two boxes. I know. Of, That's why yeah. I don't bake. Because once I know that this thing has two sticks of butter in it <laughs> and four cups of sugar in it, I mean, I can feel my thighs getting bigger without even taking my first bite. Yeah. Like, I want to remain blissfully ignorant about that shit. Right. I just want to have my birthday cake and have it be delicious without frosting and, um, you know, leave it at that. Like, I don't need to know. I don't need to know everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's, if I'm just getting used to it or if I've accepted like, okay, this is how much butter goes into everything. But yeah, it is upsetting. And, um, that's, that's part of baking, I guess. Okay, last one. This was uh, a couple months ago. I think it was towards the beginning of quarantine where you said that there was a bird that perhaps lives under your porch and every time you turn on the outside light, it attacks you and you're essentially trapped in your own home. The bird, the avian situation in this house or around this house is really Hitchcockian. (laughs) Like, it's, it's bad. Like to me, nature is having an extra fern in your living room. So I am not at all comfortable where I'm quarantining. I mean, I'm comfortable inside the house, but we have red robins and blue jays. And then there's all these piping plovers, which I heard, you know, are really endangered. So good for them that they've got the bay roped <laughs> off while they nest. Um, I would like some of my this house roped off during quarantine as well. But every time I poke my goddamn nose outside, I feel like, you know, whatever the bird version of Cujo is coming out, <laughs> right? Like doing a nosedive, you know, for my throat. And I don't like it. I also don't appreciate all the bird poop around. Right, right. I will not sit outside because... We've got various um, vintages of bird poop. We have the seagulls because of the beach. We have the piping plovers, which, you know, are very small and there's everything in between. Yeah, I was I was low key expecting you to say that this bird had gone away, but I, it sounds like it's gotten a whole lot worse since you tweeted this. <laughs> this bird, it's like a civilization of yeah. birds um, of various types all around here. I mean, I might have to buy a weed whacker to wax them. I'm sorry, you're a bird lover. I was too before I had to spend three months here in Birdlandia. It's fine. I'm anti-bird, so that that is welcome. <laughs> um, people can find you uh, on on the internet, on Twitter and Instagram. You're still making, uh, you're doing some cooking videos on Instagram, right? Yes, I am. I made chicken and dumplings from this great cookbook called Jubilee. Um, the other day that I put up two days ago, um, you know, I'll still be cooking. I'll still, my family will still have to eat. So hopefully someone will be willing to hold the iPhone. Um, you can see me, um, on the finale of Top Chef on Bravo. You can also see me on Hulu on Taste the Nation. And if you feel like it, just write a letter to Hulu, tell them they should give me 
a hundred more episodes and a race. <laughs> that is a, a great idea. What else are we, are we doing right now? We might as well. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you um, being on our show. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much and stay safe in your closet. (laughs) Thank you. I will do my best. All right, it's time for Do Better, White People, our segment where we talk about some of the ways that we could be better activists, better allies, better... uh, advocates of of social justice in the world what do we got this week bear well for the past few weeks i'm sorry did you just call me bear yes all right there we go so for the past few weeks we've been each picking our own issues or resources and obviously like we've been kind of workshopping this segment week by week because we didn't want to delay and not include it but so we're going to try something new for this week and maybe moving forward, which is where instead of each highlighting our own issue or resource, we're going to do one together. So this week we're talking about voting because it's primaries in New York on Tuesday, although you can do early voting and absentee voting already. But the primary is on Tuesday, which is the day this episode comes out. And there's still a bunch of primaries happening all over the country. So we figured we'd take some time to talk about it. Yeah. Basically, I think one of the best resources, honestly, is vote.org. If you're not registered uh, already, uh, you could go and get registered there. It only takes a couple of minutes. Whether or not you have a primary coming up, you should still check your registration if you are registered. And uh, if not, sign up and register. It also has where you can punch in your address and get all of like sample ballots and things that are going to be on it. I feel like one of the biggest impediments is like, I don't know, you go into a voting booth and you expect there to be like two things that you have to choose. And then there's all this other shit on it. (laughs) And it's just like assembly people. You got council members. You got municipal court judges. Yeah. It's like, who the, how do I fucking know what judge I'm supposed to pick? And then you end up just picking whose name you like the best. <laughs> Which is and, not- and what we're trying to say is we can do better than that. Exactly. And actually, if you can Instagram stalk your ex's current girlfriend, then you have the tools to learn about the people you're voting for, especially because they mostly all of them have campaign websites right. and Instagrams. It's true. If I match with someone who I think is cute on Tinder within minutes, I'm able to find I'll know the name of his dog that died in high school. You'll know his GPA. <laughs> I'll know everything there is to know about him. The least I can do is learn what, what a judge stands for, who's going to be deciding the laws. Also, another another resource that I've been using a lot is Ballotpedia because they tell you who is going to be on your ballot and then they link to like all of the social websites and campaign websites and stuff like that. And I know this sounds obvious, but like I know I've done this where I do the research, I look up, I'm like, okay, I'll vote for these people. I'll remember who they are and their names. And then you get to the booth and you're like, uh, I forgot everything I've ever learned in my entire life, especially within the past week. So like write the names down. Yeah. Bring your little cheat sheet. That is allowed. 
One last thing that I want to say about voting, um, and this is maybe skewed to New York, but you know what? Gentrification happens everywhere. And that is the importance of not just voting for people who align with your values, but especially in areas and like neighborhoods where there's a lot of gentrification. When it comes to local politics, it's important to actually elect people who are local and who are from those areas and who have been embedded in the community and know the community. And uh, that's something that I think is just a good thing to keep in mind when you're researching people and should be part of what you're thinking about when you head to the polls. Yeah. So uh, register to vote, check your registration, find out who's going to be on your ballot the next time that there is an election. If you can, get your absentee ballot, start doing that research. We believe in you. That's what we're doing. Until next time. All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the show. But first, our chasers. Chasers are the good stuff that help all the bad shit go down easier, starting with the TV we've been watching this week. Barry, what you been watching? Matt, I have been watching Taste the Nation, which we all have heard about now, is Padma Lakshmi's new show. It is so good. <laughs> like It, one, makes me very hungry. Two, makes me really miss traveling. Three, I've learned so much already about cuisine that... I kind of take advantage of like I eat burritos all the time and I knew a little bit about their history but not nearly as much and like the way that they present it the the people they're talking to and have on camera like it's it's really beautiful and interesting and great and uh also a super big highlight episode two they show the inside of the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile and I did not expect it to look that fucking cool. Yeah. I definitely want to take a ride in that ween. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I've been watching. What about you? I have been watching Taste the Nation, too. I really, really love it. Yeah, it's such a great show. I love Padma so much. I need to go back and watch all of Top Chef also. Oh, my God. Are, um, aren't there like a million seasons? There are. <laughs> there are so many of them. But and if I anyone do- can do it, Matt, it's you. I know. I know. I I definitely have been falling back into the rut of just like rewatching a bunch of stuff. So I don't really have a lot of new stuff. So Taste the Nation. Everybody watch Taste the Nation. And I also want to point out, obviously, we had Padma on and that's part of her promoting the show. But like we are we are not getting paid to say this (laughs) just in case people hear the segment. They're like, oh, come on. Like, no, it's it's because we we actually watched it and really loved it. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And uh, what is your non TV chaser? My chaser this week is that for the past couple of weeks, I've just been buying some flowers every Saturday morning and putting them in a vase. And it just it brightens the room every single week. And it it just brings me joy. And like when I sit down to have my yogurt and granola in the morning and I'm just looking at these nice little flowers and uh, I'm, I'm also like learning because I've been buying them from the farmer's market. And so they're all local flowers. So I'm learning about like when peony season is and like right now daisies are doing really well and sunflowers are starting to be sold and it's just a really lovely way of thinking about the seasons and it also is just really brightening the room so it's truly been bringing me some joy yeah i love flowers what's your chaser this week mine let me tell you about this thing i don't know if you're aware of it it's called 
cinnamon the spice okay <laughs> what i fucking love cinnamon so much and i've just been thinking this week about how much i love cinnamon <laughs> it's one of the only spices that i buy that i like regularly make it to the bottom of the thing of sp- like i use the entirety of it uh-huh which always feels like such an accomplishment like whenever i make it to the bottom of a thing of spice maybe that's just because i'm <laughs> so white <laughs> <laughs> but I I feel like cinnamon is one of those like fall spices, fall and winter. And so mm-hmm. it's like spring and summer. And I don't know, things start getting like lemony or citrusy. And we we forget about the true heroes, which is cinnamon. Okay. I fucking put it in everything. I put it in my oatmeal in the morning. I made these cinnamon um it was like a sponsored Instagram thing that I uh, that I saw this baking Instagram that I follow and I fell for it. Um, <laughs> whenever like uh, sponsorships work on me, I'm always like, oh, you got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> but they it was this baking vlog that made these. It was like a chocolate chip cookie that had this cinnamon toast cereal baked into it. What? It wasn't Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It was like a, a different brand. I think Cascadia okay. Farms or something. Uh, oh, hell yeah. We love, we're a Cascadia Farms house. Yeah. Which is like, it makes it sound like it's healthier because it's like whole grains and stuff. <laughs> I don't actually know if it is, but I was like, all right, I'll buy the brand that, that they, that they were showing. And I made them and it's like, yeah, it's basically like this big chocolate chunk cookie, but it's got extra cinnamon toast crunch in them and it was like it was so good i definitely (laughs) ate all of them i will make them for you thank you but yeah i just love cinnamon and i i have giant giant things of it that i use in everything it for this week's episode thank you for listening to unhappy hour you can head to apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher where we get podcasts hit that subscribe button then rate us and review us but only if it's nice i don't want to hear your shit unhappy hour is a production of pineapple street studios it's produced by barry finkel melissa slaughter and me matt belisai special thanks to jenna weiss berman and max linsky our music is by hansdale sue you can bother Barry at Finkleberry Pie. You can worship me at Matt Bellisai. And you can follow Unhappy Hour Pod on Twitter for all the latest podcast buzz. And you can leave us your very own rant on our voicemail line. We got a rant hotline at 601 600 Rant. That's 601 600 7268. And that's it. That's everything. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Uh, Bye-bye. I wish I had an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I really want to be. Is that where I want to be? I want to be an Oscar Mayer wiener? I think so. (laughs) Pretty fucked up, actually. Weird song. (laughs) (laughs) That we all just know.